Hello, welcome to the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. On this week's episode, we're talking about the Pet Cemetery remake that released last week. My name is Jeff Wright. I am here with Jared Moore, my regular co-host. And Jared, we always want to know right up front, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. It's been a busy, busy week. Um, really busy. And uh, I think it's going to calm down after Easter, but we're still two weeks shy of Easter. So um, it's just how, how it is in ministry, man. Yeah, what are you going to preach on on Easter? Having a um, having a thriving family. I think on the resurrection, but I'm not sure. You think so? You think you, you, you committed there? Are you sure people aren't tired of that topic? Like you don't think that's kind of played out? <laughs> I sure hope not, man. Um, you know the I, I, honestly, I think that you, I think uh, evangelicalism as a whole probably may be tired of it, but um, that it's sinful to be tired of it. Um, wicked, evil, yeah. unbeliever. I mean, it's dangerous to be tired of it. Let me uh, let me press on this, though, man. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the high attendance days for the church, and it's supposed to be, uh, you know, where people who don't normally go to church or or uh, hear the gospel, that, that they may show up with grandma or, or whatever. Um, you sure you want to do, you don't want to do something more appealing than just the resurrection? I mean, a lot of people are pretty skeptical about that whole rising from the dead stuff. <laughs> Oh, me. Um, it is the greatest act in human history, man. Um, it would be foolish to emphasize anything else. And preacher, if there's a preacher listening to this, um, if you're going to emphasize something other than the resurrection of Christ on Resurrection Celebration Sunday, I mean something like um, giving away free TVs. Um, something if you if you're going to literally give people idols to climb over. Um, <laughs> just get out of the pulpit. Just, uh, just leave the ministry already. Oh my, shots fired. I, oh yeah, for real. I'm, I'm just, I'm weary. I'm weary, man. Because only in a rich culture can we even have all these stupid things that just, when it, in the grand scheme of things, it does not matter. What matters is that in Christ. You can literally be saved from death. You can be saved from the greatest enemy known to mankind. Christ has conquered it, and in him, you too will conquer it as well. I mean, it's just, why? I don't understand why we'd emphasize anything else. But, but, um, but Jerry, listen, listen, I could get an iPad. Like, if I go <laughs> to that church, I could get an iPad, man. They're going to have a drawing. Yeah, you could get an iPad. And hey, you may get saved, but are you going to, you, in order to get saved, you'd have to repent for why you came to the worship service. Because mm, mm. I came for an iPad? Yeah, yeah. You'd have to repent of that in order to trust in Christ, right? You have to care uh, about Jesus more than you do the iPad. Oh, man. That's just like Jesus giving away bread and fish. The iPod, I mean, excuse me, the iPad, that's a new That's a new bread and fish, man. That's all that's going on there. Quit being a yeah, curmudgeon. It could be. could be. But you remember that time that Jesus, the people were following him around because they thought he was a meal ticket, and he just stopped doing miracles and turned around and started teaching, and they left? He told them, like, eat my flesh and drink my blood? <laughs> yeah. Huh. I think that's what I'm going to preach on Sunday. I'm I'm going to preach on eat my flesh and drink my blood. That, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm I haven't got that far yet, man. But because I'm on uh, what is a healthy church member, and um, I've just got to look at my points. I may tie that into that concerning um, affirming and teaching the resurrection, and and perhaps our resurrection as well. But. Yeah, well, I think you've persuaded me. I think when Easter comes, I'll preach on I'll preach on the resurrection too. You you make a compelling case. Yeah, I I did not, but um, you're being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> me never. Yes. Perish the thought, Jared Moore. Yes, and I, I tell you, I understand the 
I understand the difficulty because everybody wants their churches full. Um, well, yeah, and the church down the road is going to do like, you know, mm-hmm. a helicopter Easter egg drop or, uh, you know, have the Easter bunny come riding in on a Harley on the stage. You know, like it, it becomes sort of a, an arms race. You know, if you give yourself over to that, it, it's always escalating. What, what do we do to differentiate ourselves from the other comparable church down the road and their spectacle? Yeah, and, and what what's crazy I mean, literally, we have a Savior who's alive. There is no other religion that has that. There's another organization that can claim it uh, historically. You know, I know yeah. there's been people who claim uh, someone's risen from the dead, but like we have it as a as a most reliable historical fact. Yeah. We're like, no, man, no. People need they need the Easter Bunny and they need giveaways. We're gonna get a T-shirt cannon. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, get a beach ball and have it going around during the uh, during the worship time. Let people hit it around and. Yeah, I mean, we we need all those things because obviously the guy rising from the dead and conquering death and reconciling us to God and going to heaven and sprinkling his blood in the throne room of God and sitting down because his work is finished until his father says, go get my kids. No, 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 all that. Let's just leave all that out. That's you, People get tired of that. That's, I mean, literally the greatest, <laughs> the greatest thing in life is Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And people want to emphasize, like, it's one thing if people come to church for the wrong reasons. It's another thing entirely if the church doesn't even believe these things enough to where they're literally giving people other reasons to come to church. Yeah, they try to bait people with other stuff. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Well, um, I guess we could <laughs> we can draw to a close this section of uh, church curmudgeon uh, quorum deo. But I'm, I'm totally with you, man. It, it, this is silly season. You know this this time of year with Easter and Christmas, churches just get bananas. And uh, you know it's one of those deals where you look around, and you're like, yeah, I get why lost people in our community think Christians are nut jobs because they see through this mess. So uh, I don't want to turn bitter here. I just I want to acknowledge that the the healthier version of what we're doing here is to say, man, with with integrity and with boldness, with confidence in the sovereign power of God, preach the shed blood of Christ, his righteousness given to sinners through faith, the empty grave and uh, the occupied throne where he's reigning right now over the household of God and soon to reign over visibly reign over all things. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest spectacle we have to offer. It's the biggest spectacle in human history. Like, I mean, if you if they've got flying cars or flying whatever or teleporting or whatever in the future, the greatest thing that will still be is Christ. I mean, it's just anyway. Yeah, I'm I could go you, on and on, and I know you. We, I know we have we have gone on and on. No, Jeff is acting like you know. Oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> I know you. You could go on and on for two hours on this. You know. Yeah, I get salty when I start seeing people, and I realize not everybody's doing it intentionally. In fact, most of them aren't doing it intentionally. Right. But. Uh, if you know, if I want to introduce you to my wife, and I spend you, uh, I spend the whole time uh, talking not about her, but about her family, or uh, you know what uh, what she's done to improve our house, or something like that, rather than telling you how wonderful she is, it says something about what I think about her, right, and what I think is actually wonderful about my wife or our relationship. Yes. And, 
it is weird to see so many churches doing everything but just talking about Jesus dying and rising from the grave on Easter. But I'm confident our listeners are of a uh, a, a deeper rooted uh, sort and that they are in healthier churches, or if they're not in healthier churches, that they're going to go and have a loving conversation with their pastors, their elders, the leadership team, whatever, whatever it is, and say, hey, let's really hammer home that Jesus Christ died for sinners and gives his righteousness as a free gift, rose from the dead, and call people to repent and believe in his name. Right? That's what everybody doing. Uh, that's what everybody's doing who's listening to this podcast. It's funny though, just what you said. Like, go have a loving conversation. If you've got to go have a loving conversation with your elders about talking a lot about Jesus and what He's done and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Um, you probably need to look for another church. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Now we're getting into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming most churches are going to think they're talking a lot about Jesus. <laughs> you know, my, my worry is if if Jesus is a route to something else, you know, uh, a successful family, uh, you know, uh, a thriving career. If that's the good that Jesus opens the door to, you need to go have a conversation with the leadership of your church because he is the ultimate highest good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, with our theology of Easter, for, <laughs> or Easter services, rather, uh, firmly established here, you ready to get into our first section? Yes, sir. Let's do it then. What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? Um, what did I tell you? Um, I need you to tell me now. See, everything that happened off air didn't exist. It only only what we say into these microphones actually uh, makes its way to our listeners. Mm. I rewatched um, Glass the other night. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. What made you do that? I just really enjoyed the movie, even though I think the worldviews bankrupt and uh, bankrupt and Shyamalan is, you know, the ending is ridiculous, but. Um, I feel sorry for his worldview, but other than that, it's a good movie. It's a good story. Um, I mean, I, I all the characters I really enjoy. Uh huh. Um, even even uh, McAvoy. McAvoy is uh, really amazing in that movie, and he is incredible, man. Yeah, it's a great. It's just I really enjoyed it. Um, so so anyway, I, I actually only got about like seventy percent through it, so I need to watch the ending. Yeah, I didn't actually realize it had made its way to Blu-ray yet. My wife has not seen it, I don't think, and uh, I need to get that and show it to her. She'll be she'll be excited to watch it. Yeah, man, watch it because it's uh, it's definitely worth seeing again. And uh, I need to watch. So we've got access to the new Mary Poppins. Have you seen the new Mary Poppins? No. Now my wife is a ginormous Mary Poppins fan, and she took our kids to see that like release weekend. Mm-hmm. But I found something else to be doing that day. Hmm. Yeah, I I haven't seen either. Um, my kids went with gra- Granny, and they've watched it. I haven't seen the first one either. You seen the first one? Yeah, I've seen some of it. I mean, there are people out there listening to this right now who are screaming and pulling their hair. Uh, if my wife is listening to this, she's just like shaking her head because her husband's such a philistine. I get it. It's supposed to be great. It's just not my thing, <laughs> you know. Uh, when Dick Van Dyke goes dancing across the screen with these animated penguins, I'm just my eyes roll back in my head, and I'm I'm transported <laughs> to a faraway magical place. So I, I'm sure the problem's with me, but there is a problem. Hey, in the new one though, it's Emily Blunt. I mean, she was amazing in uh, A Quiet Place. She was. That's true. That's true. No hate for Emily Blunt. I just don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm signing up for Mary Poppins anytime soon. I feel the same way about the sound of music. My wife loves the sound of music. Everybody <laughs> who has any good opinion about art at all loves the sound of music. I I'd rather go into like a three day coma than have to watch that thing. Oh my goodness! That's, just three days. I don't want to be long term. 
term or like persistent vegetative. <laughs> just three just, days. Just three days. Yeah. <laughs> just three days. And I, I, don't know I, I like pick. musicals, but it, it is because I'm unsophisticated. You know, the sound of music comes on. I'm like, nah, fam. But if Wicked, the soundtrack is playing, I'm like, absolutely. Uh, I'm, you know, defying gravity right along with uh, Elphaba. So it, it's just because I don't have any taste. No, you got taste. You remember we saw Phantom of the Opera in New York. I did. That, that's actually what hooked me on theater and through theater that, uh, you know, I got into musicals. So yeah, hey, Phan- the- Phantom on Broadway is not overrated. It's everything that it's hopped up to be. By the way, would you ever let your kids go on like a senior trip like we went on? Yeah, if they room with me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Fire up the classical school trip to New York City. Dad's going to be the chaperone. That sounds like a party. Oh, I look back on that, man. And I look back on the beta club trips we went on. And I'm like, dude, my kids ain't going on any of that stuff. Yeah, high school is basically a choose your own adventure story where my kids get to do none of it. Well, it's because their daddy went on these trips, and mm-hmm. we know what those trips, I mean, what those trips could have been like. Well, yeah. I mean, I know what they could have been like, because I went with you, and I saw what they were like for you, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my word. I would just I'd go back and just spend hours in prayer uh, oh in the hotel gosh. room. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I hope there's some high school people that we went to high school with that are listening to this. They're like, Jeff, right. Yeah. They'll know. They'll be thankful that I spent so much time on my knees before the Lord for them. <laughs> They'll probably come hear my Easter sermon because of it. They may. They may. All right. So here's the thing. We're talking about what we've been watching. We're not talking about what (laughs) horrible choices we made in high school that we're going to forbid our children the opportunity to make. Um, I have a strange premonition that, like me, you watched The Twilight Zone, Jordan Peele's reboot. Yes. Yes, I did. All right. Well, let's talk about that for just a minute because we don't have a whole lot for. So sorry to interrupt here in in just a few moments. Sure. We can take some extra time here. Um. What'd you think, man? We'll just go general. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, now, the airplane one was the second one. Now, remind me the first one. <laughs> it's Kamel Nanjiani as a stand-up comedian who uh, okay, gotcha. discovers the you know the how to how to really take over a uh, an audience, but there's a there's a high cost. So hey, yeah, actually, let me just yeah. do that real quick. Spoiler, Spoiler. alert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're going to spoil the first two episodes of Twilight Zone. If you keep listening, um, if you like, hey, man, I don't want to hear that. I will put a timestamp in the show notes that will tell you when you can come back and start listening again. So check the show notes on this podcast episode in your app. All right, Jared. So, yeah, the first one. So I I enjoyed it, but I thought his, you know, it, it was basically that your comedy has to have a message is what it sounded like. Yeah. And um, now is Jordan Peele, is he the uh, is he the director of this or just the narrator? He is involved creatively, but he's working with other writers. And okay. I'm not sure what directorial role he has in it. But again, he's in the he's in the room with the writers and he's got a creative voice. But then he's the the guide or whatever. Yeah, I, I think he I think that's a too grandiose argument. Um you know, to to argue that every joke or every set has to have a like you have to be saying something with your comedy that is controversial or profound or um, is what is what it seemed to be arguing that if you you know if you're just out to get laughs then you're not a good comedian type. Thing. I mean, ha- Key and Peele. If if anybody's ever watched any of their shows, um, <laughs> maybe they have <laughs> their <laughs> every every episode has a good has a message that they're trying to convey, but it's not crystal clear. <laughs> 
I don't know, man. I felt like the racial draft had just. Uh, that wasn't even him. That was Dave. That wasn't them. That was Chappelle. I should. I should step out now. I should. I should quit. <laughs> That's a compliment, though, to Peel. Anyway. Yeah, I actually think the guy that Tracy Morgan was was playing in the Nanjiani episode. Uh, I think that was a reference to Chappelle uh, because, you know, he said you had it all. You're on top of the world and you just walked away from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was I think that was clearly an allusion to Chappelle. Um, Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I think you're right. Can I be honest with you? Yeah, I loved that. That basically the idea was people don't want to hear your preachy political comedy. Like it bores everybody to tears when you get up and rant about some left leaning political narrative as if it's the mm-hmm. most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. And I say that because I get bored to tears every time I turn on a new Netflix special and the person thinks they're super edgy by taking the most, you know, left position and assuming that it's it's normal for everybody else in the real world. And mm-hmm. so when he's, you know, like as they kept repeating him talking about the Second Amendment, that's basically what it feels like for me to listen to most comedy. And I'm super in the stand-up comedy mm-hmm. uh, but it's just it's just kind of exhausting listen to listening to the same kind of leftist narratives and look I, I don't think that my politics fit into an easy left-right uh, dichotomy you know I'm, I'm I'm like a pro-life libertarian Ron Paul kind of guy um, nobody has to agree with me on that that's just where I'm at so I'm not I'm not trying to be partisan for like the political right it's just that the uh, the grandstanding by people who hold leftist positions and use their quote unquote comedy to to drive that uh man it just grinds you down mm-hmm. yeah but i i mean do you think that episode was arguing that i thought that episode was arguing the opposite of that that he should do that well i think i think it's saying that you should be authentic you know that you shouldn't chase the uh you shouldn't chase the the celebrity or the fame, mm-hmm. but it clearly pointed out that it, this joke that he's doing is driving people to boredom. So I'm happy to take both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, be authentic, have your integrity, but quit lecturing me <laughs> during a comedy special. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I love, I love Kamel Nanjiani. I, politically, he and I just don't see eye to eye. Um, I used to follow him on Twitter, and I stopped because of that. But I first met him through a, a podcast, interestingly enough, called The X Files Files, where he just went through X Files episodes, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he had a movie a couple of years ago called The Big Sick that um, I can't remember if it has nudity in it. I watched it with my wife, and so I, you know I wouldn't have been looking if if there was some hint of it, but. Um, on the assumption it doesn't, I thought it was one of the funniest movies I've seen in a couple of years. And it's based on his real life relationship with his wife where uh, they were going, they were early in their dating relationship. It hit a rough patch and like she almost died in the hospital. And uh, man, it is, it's screamingly funny. Uh, the Big Sick, I think it's an Amazon original. So if, um, again, you'll have to check your conscience, see if you can handle it. I'm sure there's foul language. And I know at one point they, they hook up, like they go back to his hotel for, or his uh, apartment. The strong implication being for casual sex so it's not gonna be for everybody but it was it was incredibly funny and one of the more unique comedies i've seen in a while Mm. um anything else on the the, uh the twilight zone first first episode not the first episode okay so then the second episode we get adam scott uh replicating a classic from the twilight zone canon terror at twenty thousand feet um and adam plays the neurotic guy losing his cool on the airplane what'd you think about that one jared I thought it was good. So the now the argument in that one. Um, so my understanding is that he basically, if you assume you're right without the evidence, you end up what destroying people or or 
or creating the problem or you are the problem or because the fellow was a journalist, right? Investigative journalist. Yep. And so he thought he had had it figured out. He was con- connecting dots that were not there and you know which eventually led to he actually created what he was trying to prevent. Yeah, this is true. And um and so I'm not sure what a, what the exact argument was in that other than, you know, use logic, find evidence before you jump to conclusions or uh print what you can prove. Maybe, maybe. Which is kind of anti-postmodern, though, yeah. which is, is odd. I mean, it makes sense for a rehash. But didn't that didn't that original uh, Twilight Zone episode have some a monster on the wing? It's a different one, I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, the reason why I asked that that one haunted me. Like when I think of the Twilight Zone, I think of the airplane and the monster on the wing. Are you thinking of um, Are you thinking of the person looking out the window being somebody in black and white, or uh, the guy who played Captain Kirk on Star Trek? Black and white. Okay. Because they, they redid it with, uh, what's that guy's name? He played Captain Kirk. Why can I not think about it? William Shatner. They, they made, remade it with William Shatner. And I saw that one before I saw the black and white one. When will, uh, it, maybe it is William Shatner. I don't know. It's been a long time, though. I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's a scary concept. Um, but to your point about what the, what the episode is trying to tell us, I can't remember what Peel said at the end. I don't know if he gave us like the moral of the story, but it's definitely a story of like when helping hurts, you, you act as a solo agent and you end up making things worse rather than making them better. Uh, what do yeah. you think about having Adam Scott be, be the problem, not part of the solution? You know, cause we're used to rooting for him. Um, I mean, I liked it. I like that one. Yeah. Um, I like the point of that one. Do you ever watch black mirror? I've seen a few episodes of it. Um, I don't know. It messes with me some. Yeah. I, I found this one to be pretty like topical. You know, it's wanting to talk about cultural issues of the moment. This Twilight Zone, that is. And I just worry. I worry if we're going to end up getting, you know, Jordan Peele doing a more pedestrian version of Black Mirror for CBS rather than, you know, some cable network. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because I felt like the twist or whatever in both of these episodes was super obvious. And, uh, I mean, truth be told, I felt like the twist in Pills Us was pretty obvious, too. So maybe I'm just figuring out his beats. But I I don't know. I, I just wonder how this series is going to differentiate itself from something like Black Mirror, when Black Mirror can be much more uh, visually and, uh, I don't know, narratively aggressive. I think um, maybe this is more socio um Political and and Black Mirror is more technology, right? Warnings about technology. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I think of Black Mirror as socio political, but you're right; they they certainly do beat the drum on technology. So maybe maybe that'll be it. Maybe maybe people will go cultural topical and Black Mirror will stay. I mean, not like they're they're thinking about each other and, and trying to honor each other. I'm just thinking. I'm just wondering how Twilight Zone will differentiate itself without being just a milder version. You know. Yeah, and uh, hey, do you think do you think Peel is uh, trying to be like Alfred Hitchcock kind of at the end. Well, that's the classic Rod Serling role. Like, I feel like that's what they've got to do if they put the name Twilight Zone on it. You've got to have that, you know, nee, 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 intro, and you got to have the host addressing the audience. And, uh, I mean, I don't know, I guess I, 
I didn't know how Peel would do with that, but surprise, surprise, he's good at it. Like I felt like it was right in the tradition of Rod Serling. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was well done, and I don't know. I think I'm going to enjoy that. I hope it's long running. I hope it. I hope it does really well. I do. I do think it's odd that they're not releasing it. Like it's just online, right? Yeah, it's just through CBS All Access. And uh, I'll just tell you, man, with the Disney service coming out later this year, I'm, I don't know. I, it's a good way to get people to, to buy CBS All Access, but I'm already exhausted with paying for different streaming services. Yes, me too, man. Like, I don't know, people cut the cord so that they can save money, right? Because yep. they're charging way too much. But now with all these different options... And um, I've got something we can talk about um, in the uh, well in our next section. Okay. Okay. All right. So, anything else on uh, on Twilight Zone before we wrap that up? No, that's it, buddy. Trying to think what I have seen that you haven't mentioned. I saw Twilight Zone as well. I did see Shazam, and you're gonna have to get on that, man. We need to talk about it. I feel like box office returns we picked wrong this week. <laughs> we need to double back to do Shazam. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see it. Um, I wanted to take my kids, but I got to reading about it. Didn't think they could. They were old enough yet. Yeah, I think that's a wise call. So I, I went fully intending to take my kids the next night, and uh, one Shazam was considerably scarier than. I would have anticipated more more scary than I think my six year old son can handle, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just got some stuff in it. Like they twice they go to a gentleman's club, and uh, I don't want to explain to my ten year old what a gentleman's club is and why it's funny. Gentleman's club that he went there, yeah, and so. I don't know. I'm curious how conscientious parents are going to respond to that movie. It's weird. It's weird that a movie that is so clearly aimed at children, I mean, adults as well, of course, but like kids becoming superheroes, kids are going to want to see that thing, would include multiple trips to a gentleman's club and like super duper scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandberg, the the director, his background is in horror, and I really loved his Annabelle creation. He may yeah. not, he may, yeah, he, he may not know how to do like dialed down horror. He may have like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He can only put the throttle down he can't you know ease off sure but it's just weird choices and so i I did my it's my youngest son who is most interested in watching that movie and i've kicked around with him that you know i may take you to see it but if we do you have to agree that i can put my hands over your eyes at any point i choose and you don't say anything um which Mm -hmm. he wouldn't like fight me or whatnot but he if he didn't see it coming he'd be like hey and he'd try to get out from behind my hand and i would just clamp down on him till till the scene was over yeah but yeah there i I do think there's good reason to to be cautious about taking children Mm mm-hmm yeah, and yeah, there's more to talk about, but we'll do it if we do a full episode. So uh, I have been, uh, you know, we talked about Hellboy last last episode, so I I went and tracked those down and started them. Uh, I hadn't got very far into them, but I really like those movies, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's fun to revisit them. I did not watch the NCAA tournament. In fact, the championship game is happening right as we're recording, but you know what? That, that tournament can just go away for all I care this year because Tennessee lost, North Carolina lost, and, you know, other than – you know, rooting against Duke, which thankfully Duke lost. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have any interest. I did watch some of WrestleMania to you know today when I was doing some paperwork. Did you know WrestleMania went down uh, Sunday? I did just because you mentioned it. I can't remember where you mentioned it. Yeah, WrestleMania thirty five. Man, it's been a you mentioned it to somebody. Yeah, Danny, my brother in law. Yeah, maybe that's right. We so we saw Danny, your brother in law, when we went to see Pet Cemetery, and uh, I asked him about it. So it was like seven hours, including the the pre show. Man, it's crazy. I'm not going to get through all that, but that is crazy. Yeah, I turned on some of it. It is such a spectacle now. 
uh, I guess that's it, though. I, nothing, nothing profound to say about any of those. So if, uh, if you have no objections, we will wrap up this one and move on to our next section. You good with that? Yeah. All right, man. Let's hit the music. So sorry to interrupt. All right, Jerry. Well, I, I've got something that I'm afraid might break your heart for uh, for so sorry to interrupt. Okay. Um, they they announced that Better Call Saul season five is going to be delayed till 2020. Uh, are you going to be okay? Yeah, I'll be all right. That hurts my feelings though, because I really enjoy that show. I think they can do drama really well. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were a fan. You're the reason that I keep thinking maybe I should start it. But um, yeah, can push back till 2020. You're gonna have to. I don't know. You have to go through the the, re- the reruns or watch the marvelous Miss Maisel or something like that. Well, I, another show that I think is really good with uh, drama is Fargo, and I think that comes back this year. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I did not know that. I thought this was the most recent season was their last, and I have been saving it like a fine wine because I love that show. And, uh, yeah, I've just been holding off to, like, the perfect time to watch that series. So I would be delighted to find out they had another uh, they had another uh, whatever season in them or another story in them. Mm-hmm. An- another show um, that we enjoyed the first season of, Amber and I did, was The, the Sun I don't even, so, I'm not even familiar with that. It's Pierce Brosnan. Okay. Uh, he's a, uh, it's an interesting uh, concept, but he's like this uh, kind of a madman financially, you know, trying to protect his home. And I don't know, it's just, uh, it's about to renew at the end of this month. The second season's coming out, but uh, I think it's on AMC, I think. Uh, but it, okay. The first season be worth checking out, man. It's uh, it's interesting. It's kind of westerny um, American Indians. He was raised by an American American Indian, I believe, and um, it's just uh, it's just an interesting show. Okay, okay, well, cool. AMC has Better Call Saul too, right? Y- yes. Yeah. It looks like the uh, looks like the problem here is that talent has other gigs, and they're not going to chase off the. Uh, they're not going to you know say, hey, we're pressing on without you. They want to have the the best cast they can, so that's uh, that's unfortunate. But I, I get the uh, I get the decision there, and think it's probably the right one if you're having to choose between carrying on with your cast or. Uh, excuse me, carrying on without your cast or waiting around on them. I guess you wait around for them. Okay, man. Well, I, I didn't want to, you know, didn't want to stick that knife in your back too quick there, but I figured maybe it'd be best to get out of the way. I'm going to give you something to watch, okay? I'm going to give you something to go track down and see. I mentioned I watched WrestleMania previously, and uh, you know that before WrestleMania, they do a Hall of Fame introduction. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, I, I just, I'm not real familiar with it, but I saw the clip of Brett the Hitman. Getting attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. Well, you beat me to the punch on that. No pun intended. Yeah, dude, straight up jumps up out of the crowd and comes in and bear hugs Bret Hart while he's giving a speech. I'm assuming that WWE security is now former WWE security. It's crazy to let that happen. Did you watch the whole clip? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Apparently, the guy who did it is some kind of mixed martial arts guy. I guess probably doing this for some kind of publicity. But I'd say he's I'd say he's taking a few uh, ibuprofen this morning. I was about to say, didn't they kind of beat him senseless? I mean, it was it was pretty rough. Yeah, that is a that's a wrestling tradition that if uh, if somebody gets I say a wrestling tradition, a professional wrestling tradition, if somebody jumps in the the ring from the crowd, it is a point 
point of pride and obligation to make them regret that decision. And so uh, everybody's supposed to get involved and just destroy them so that the trend doesn't catch on. And I think this <laughs> I think this guy was an inheritor of that tradition. Dude, I saw, I guess there were, what, were there 10 people that punched him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just kept coming from the crowd, running in. And getting that guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, so Ronda Rousey is there, but her husband, who's a mixed martial artist, was there. I saw him come flying through the big show. Uh, he was there. I mean, like, that dude got wailed on, man. <laughs> I, I can't imagine he had a very good evening. I wonder if he thinks it was worth it. Yeah, I have no idea, man. I <laughs> It wouldn't be worth it to me, but I don't know what was in his head, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure his, I'm sure his name is more findable now than it was before he did it. It's just so depressing to live in a world where people do crazy stuff to get, you know, to increase their Q rating or whatever. But that's what we're in. You know how we were talking about, um, we were talking about there's so many options, like streaming options and so many TV shows and movies, and it's all on demand. Yeah. It's uh, it's negatively impacting kind of the water cooler talks, and uh, sure. I, think it's, I think it's negatively impacting our churches. Hmm. Because people, they don't, because our churches have become so affinity affiliated. Oh, yeah. Like age groups and um, basically something other than Jesus that we gather around. It's it, it's not other than Jesus. It's Jesus plus we're all around the same age. We're all around. We've got kids the same age. You know, it's we're all. We're bikers. We're cowboys. We're whatever. Yeah. yeah. We're middle class, socially upward. We uh, all love mobile, UT football. Yeah. We all love UT basket. You know, it's it's something yes, else. Yes, we all do, Jared. Yes, we do. And it's not a bad thing. As I'm refreshing my Twitter, seeing if Rick Barnes is going to stay the coach. Carry on. Um, but because we've got so many options now, there is less affinity. There's less things you have in common with each other. And so it is It is uh, hard. It's negatively impacting relationships. Um, and, and so I think it's negatively impacting our churches. And that I think that's also why we see the trend of these huge churches that have a blue million things to offer that people are flocking to. Yeah. Yeah, man, I mean, we're really going in on church curmudgeon here this week, but I'm with you. Um, hey, so I know you said that's a, that's a negative for the church. In what way specifically, just so we're clear, in what way is that a negative? It's a negative because people are – so the reasons why people used to come to church, at least partially – um, well, it, it's not a negative for big churches, but for small churches who can no longer provide those affinities that draw people um, or that encourage people to attend things beyond what the church down the street is offering as well, um, which Jesus. And um, and so I, I just think it's negatively impacting particularly smaller churches who they have a limited amount of affinity that they can offer. Yeah, so the so the the, the negative is it, it it teaches people to look for affinity group programming. Right. Well, the, youth, the youth ministries uh, and children's ministries, we have we've basically done that to ourselves. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean we're saying that as two guys who did student ministry that way. Yeah, and then they're growing up. These people are growing up, and now they're looking for Jesus plus you know people my own age. You know, all all these things that the Bible does not indicate as markers for church attendance or church involvement. Yeah. Um, you know, it's basically preference oriented. And the thing is, everybody's preferences are so unique now that only the church that can offer, you know, they've, you've got to have a lot of money to offer that many preferences. 
Um, oh, gotcha. They have programming for every unique preference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so anyway, I, I think it's just, it's part of what's feeding. But the thing is, man, the more people, I mean, the more people get into their own little groups or their own little, um, you know, unique affinities, um, I don't know what rural communities will do, honestly, uh, because yeah, yeah. Um, there won't be a church for those people. And of course, there is a biblically, of course, there's a church for those. I mean, if you're preaching Jesus, doing what the Bible says, you're a biblical church. And But I'm just talking about people who are, they go to church for their preferences. Um, they're going to literally be outside the church thinking that, well, there's no church for me. And um yeah. Yeah. But it's not only, I'm it, with you. It's the Walmart effect applied to churches, right? That these big yeah. mega monster corporation style deals that can offer a little, you know, can offer something for everybody start swallowing up these little more local congregations. And I, I don't think it's a win. You know, I, I think I think that we can get lost in those kind of things the same way you get lost wandering around Sam's Club. I don't yeah. want to pick a fight with any, you know, mega church brothers who are listening to this. I just I, I do think that we're seeing a consolidation of, of churches and I don't think it's a it's a good <laughs> thing long term for Christianity. I think, you know, uh, a small enough group for you to be known and know other people close to your uh, close to where you live, uh, like faith and practice. That's the healthiest model. And I know some churches will say, oh, well, go small group. You don't have to agree with me on this, but like, I don't want a small group. I I want a church. You, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I do want a, a confessional body of people from every different walk of life and every different generation in particular uh, gathered up together in the sanctuary on the Lord's Day and like going to each other's houses. And, and you know, basically the, the idea of the small group is applied to a multi-generational congregation. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for in a church. So I'm with you uh, that that programming emphasis is not long-term good for us. At least it's, you know, my suspicion it won't be. Um, But I will tell you, there may be a silver lining here. So if churches aren't able to affinity program as much, maybe we will come back to saying the thing that brings us all together, despite all of our different interests and sometimes contradictory interests and, you know, demographic separations is that we are Jesus's people. And, you know, if if we can kind of shuttle off some of the distraction uh, preferences and get back to what actually unites us uh, together, which is our identity in Christ and covenant membership with one another to to profit each other for the for the sake of Christ, um, that'd be a good thing, right? Like we would we would say long term that's a win. Oh, absolutely. I mean that that's the goal. Um, but I I literally think that we I'll I'll just say it, man. I, I think that consumerism is killing. The local church. One hundred percent. I co-sign that a thousand times, and I think even people who are like, "Nah, man, we're aware consumerism is dangerous." Like, it, I, I just think that it's so uh, it's so powerful that even people who think they're aware to it are profoundly driven by it. Yeah, li- listener, consumerism is so bad in the local church that the question is not, "Are you a consumer?" The question is, "How much of a consumer are you?" And, yeah. and uh, I'm talking about me and Jeff. I mean, it is so ingrained in us. The moment you say, what do I want? You're a consumer. 
Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I guess we're off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I'm, I'm happy to go there. It's our podcast, right? And it's, it's the health of the bride of Christ. So as a pastor, I, you know, I process like I'm one of the elders of our congregation. So our elders make recommendations to our congregation, whether or not we should receive someone into membership or we should, you know, tell this sister church who's reached out for a transfer of membership, you know, should we commend these people to that, uh, that congregation? And so just the life of the church, you process in and out, right? Members Mm -hmm. coming in, members going out, but you're also involved in a lot of conversations when you talk to pastors about, Hey, this person came by our church. I thought they were at your church. What's going on? You know what I mean? Like, this is just part of the job. And I bet I could count on my two hands in 2018 the times that I heard stories where people were transferring membership for solidly biblical reasons, which, you know, maybe I should define that. Uh, There is false doctrine being taught or tolerated. That's one biblical reason to leave, right? Mm -hmm. There's immorality being, uh, uh, immorality is present and it is not being confronted. And the third would be you've moved to a new, you you know, you've moved to a new geographic area. And, And legitimately, I think I probably heard 10 cases where it was like, this is crystal clear, a biblical reason to move a church membership. Most of what I heard basically fell down to my preferences changed. Yeah, that's that's awful, man. It's uh, it's everywhere. I mean, it's uh, and people people justify it. And the the thing is, though, whatever percentage you are a consumer, you're you're that much not a disciple. Yeah, you know, you you can't be a consumer and a disciple at the same time. And so, if you're a fifty percent consumer, it means you're a fifty percent disciple. Um, because it's no longer about Jesus. It's about your preferences and um, whether or not your preferences are getting met. And not only that, but... Well, we're talking about preferences. We're talking about sub-biblical criteria, right? Sure, of course. Is the programming what I want? Is it the music style I want? Is... Yeah, is the Sunday school profile what I want? Like stuff that the Bible is indifferent towards. And that as a result, again, unless those things serve the purpose of false teaching being tolerated or immorality being tolerated. But, you know, if those things, they could be any host of... Uh, options you could pick any one of those options and still be deeply biblical, but but those tend to be the kind of decisions that make people decide I'm going to go to this church versus that church. Do they have Upward? Do they offer Awana? Do they have uh, you know whatever that Trailmaster USA stuff is? It's all you know. It's all kind of like stuff the Bible doesn't comprehend basically. And, and, and by comprehend, I mean not that the Bible wouldn't have an answer for, it, but that the Bible just doesn't anticipate Christians should be making decisions about attending the church uh, over. Mhm. Absolutely, man. I mean, you, you know, the reason why you go to church is the reason why you go to church. The reason why you go to worship is the reason why you go to worship. Like Well, let's just lay that out. So we go one to to meet with King Jesus who summons us for worship, right? Right. What 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 are the reasons do we go to church? Um, to sit under the word, to join with other believers, to bear one uh, another's burdens, to rejoice and mourn with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be fed, to feed, um, to work together for the purposes of seeing the Great Commission field and and training yeah. up robust disciples. Yes, yes, and, all those things, and all those things depend upon like it's what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. But it depends on being with the same group of people who know you well enough to know how to really get into the 
details of your life that you would otherwise prefer to keep hidden. Um, and also to be the kind of people you trust when those kind of sensitive things are raised up. We're like, you know what? We've been together for years now. I know you have my best interests at heart, and I feel safe enough to let you in. Both of those just take time. They just take time. And a lot of consumerism shortcuts that process of, of developing those kind of deep-seated relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, in consumerism, it's all about taking, taking, taking. It's not about investing. It's not about viewing yourself as a – so if you want a program or whatever – you, you think needs to be done, like you you think your family's missing this, then get get off your rear and start it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go to your elders, go to your leadership and say, I believe this needs to be started. I want to start it. Like yeah. uh, otherwise, you're just you're just the reality is, is that you're ensuring. So you leave a church for some other program. You're ensuring that your current church never has that. Like right. never, I mean, it's just the wrong mentality. Absolutely, you know, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That that you know, you want to be as a Christian, you want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And uh, you don't want to be part of this migratory horde who's like, oh, this hip, cool thing's happening over here. We'll be there for a while. Then we'll move over. You know, there's even a worse version of that where it's like we go to this church Sunday morning and we go to that church Wednesday night and our kid goes to this third church's youth group. Um, that's really dangerous. And the, the one thing I do want to say here, though, Jared, let me just stick in. We're talking about the decisions that lay people make and members. Pastors are just as bad. Bigger yep. budget, more prestigious pulpit, uh, bigger city. Uh, you know, you name name the criteria, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Get to work on a on a more prestigious guy's staff. Just go through all of it. Pastors are just as guilty of this. And until somebody decides, like, I'm just going to change it. I'm just not going to be that person. We're going to continue seeing consumerism eat the evangelical church in our age. And see, what, what's dangerous, folks, like Americans don't think that it's dangerous, but it is. Consumerism cannot survive when persecution comes. So all of a sudden it becomes illegal to go to church. And people have been going to church for preferences. And then think about all the preferences that, that people, the the amenities, if you will, that people, the reasons people go to church. You can't do that when you're worshiping in a basement with candlelight. Yes, or if you're viewing your resume as a minister as a ladder to bigger and better, more significant, more prestigious, more influential positions, right? So if mm-hmm. when persecution comes, it, I, I'm not going to care if I have a you know a first Baptist church in a major metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so right right now most of what we're talking about here is is the church equivalent of shopping for tires. You you identify a brand you want, you go find it for the most reasonable price with the best customer service, and that's how you make the choice. If mm-hmm. that's how we're doing church, we're in trouble. And our age uh, in church history in, in America among evangelicals is eaten up with this stuff, both among leaders and, and uh, you know, lay members of, of the congregation. Mm-hmm. So we, we've been ranting about church stuff, man. We've got Easter figured out. We've got church membership figured out. What else can we do? We've got a little time left on this recording. Yeah, we don't have it figured out, man. But, but I mean, we. I just feel like people are diving... They're diving in a sea of sharks and they don't know it. They think they're, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this is not going to end well because you, you imagine this consumer emphasis, what it means for the next generation, like what we're producing. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it can't be good because preferences, you know, like you said, preferences change and the next generation will rebel against our current preferences. And um, it's just it's just a never ending cycle and it doesn't lead to discipleship or biblical maturity. Yeah, those things 
biblical maturity discipleship, they come from self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And self-sacrifice is the last thing that consumerism cultivates. Yeah. Well, on that cheery note, let's put an end to this one, and we'll go into an even bleaker subject, Jared, if you're ready. You ready to pull the curtain on Pet Cemetery from 2019? Yes, sir. All right. So, uh, Jared, you and I got to see this together, and uh, that, that's a that's a treat for us. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. But before we do that, we kind of need to handle some of our, our you know, like our normal uh, duties in terms of, of setting our listeners up well. And so I'm going to pull up the IMDb synopsis for Pet Cemetery. And listener, if you haven't seen the movie and you, um, you, you, you want to before you hear plot details, you need to hit pause here. You need to come back to the podcast after you've seen it. Because once I read this description, we're going to assume that you're happy to, to hear the plot details and and we'll be fully in spoiler territory so with that in mind jared here's the here's the imdb synopsis you rounded out anywhere it's it's deficient okay okay dr lewis creed and his wife rachel relocate from boston to rural maine with their two young children the couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods near their new home hmm yeah, there's no. I mean, that's good. That's true. That's that's the story. Yeah, maybe you might add like, and then things get evil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then things get crazy. All right, guys. So this is this is spoiler territory uh, from here on out. And uh, if you don't want to have the plot details spoiled, again, hit pause, go watch the movie, come back, and we'll be waiting on you when you when you get back. Uh, Jared, how long has it been since you saw the 1989 version of Pet Cemetery? Oh, it's been a long time, man. It's been 20 years or more. Oh, really? I think I watched it like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Getting ready for this for this movie to come out. Just want to do some compare and contrast. I would have sworn to you that it was a TV miniseries. Mm-hmm. It's not. It was released as a theatrical movie. Did you know that? I thought that. You had told me that, that it was a miniseries, um, and I thought it was a movie, but... Um, well, here you go, man. You got audio record. Jeff Wright was wrong, and he admitted to it. Yeah, that is. Uh, this is a moment in history. Yeah, we yeah. savor this for a minute. We'll hand this off to our press secretary. She can deal with all the the newspaper requests for more for more information. Oh yeah, there'll be headlines as soon as this is released. I mean, let me ask you this too. Did you know there was a sequel to Pet Cemetery? I did, but I've never seen it. So I didn't think I had either, but I watched it because uh, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I apparently have seen it. So the the resurrected dead pet in that one is this big white dog named Zowie. And it's the property of a chubby kid whose uh, whose dad shoots it in a fit of rage. Oh my! Um, it's got the I don't know what you what you would say to, to describe this guy, uh, but it's got the okay. Here, here's where we go. The poster child of '90s uh, child actors, Edward Furlong. You know who that is? Mm-mm. It's the kid from Terminator Two. Oh yeah, yeah, he's in it, and uh, he plays you know kind of the the main character. It's got Anthony Edwards who was in like a thousand different eighties movies. Yeah, I know uh, him. Clancy Brown plays the 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 cop stepdad who shot Zowie, and it's also got this kid named Jared Rushton who is like the epitome of nineties bully kids. Uh, he quit working to like go play in a in a in a rock band as an adult but for a while there he had an incredible run he was in honey i shrunk the kids he was in big but he was also in pet cemetery 2 playing a bully and uh i don't know it was kind of a it was kind of a trip down memory lane in that i realized i have seen this movie before but also this is the most early 90s thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> 
Um, and apparently Stephen King had nothing to do with this, the sequel. They they made some money on the 89 version, and they were like, well, we got to get another one out there. And the same director came back and, and, and did the sequel. So anyway, hmm. I wouldn't recommend tracking it down. Uh, two important differences, though. Uh, the ending is different in the 2019 one. And sort of the the detail of of which kid dies that sets uh, sets the good doctor down the wrong path changes in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you watch any trailers for this one? I did. Yeah. See, I tried my best to avoid them. Uh, I I don't watch trailers if I know that I want to see the movie. I think I've mentioned that before. And so I did everything I could to avoid the trailer for this. I didn't read any articles about it, but somehow, maybe through reading a headline or overhearing somebody, I found out that it wasn't the little boy who died in this one. It was the little girl. And uh, I just so wish I didn't know that because the scene that sets up her death, if I didn't know what was coming, it would have been so powerful. You remember that where like the little boy's running to the road? Oh, yeah. I didn't know it. I thought the little boy was going to die. Oh, okay. See, that's what I wanted. That's who I wanted to, to be. But because they released those stupid details, it had gotten to me. I don't know how you managed to avoid it, but I'm glad you did. Did, did you just say, so earlier you said you're wrong, and now you say you want to be me. Did yeah. I just hear that? Yeah, man. This is this is your day. Dude. This is your episode right here. I Like, I don't know what to do now. Just, like, look, we'll just end the episode. I'll, I'll dump it down to an MP3, and you can just put it on repeat as you go to bed tonight. I'm in the mountaintop. Uh, this is the mountaintop. Yeah. This is what it's like. I've all, <laughs> Dude, I have wondered what this is like. I'm going to, for real, I'm going to edit and get your, this your ringtone. I'm wrong <laughs> and I want to be you. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, if you, if you do that, I won't even say a word. That would be, that would be incredible. <laughs> it would be kind of weird. You know, you call me and my phone starts <laughs> saying I'm wrong and I want to be you. Uh, uh, yeah. anyway, I think people know. would wonder the nature of a relationship. <laughs> like, do you have your, do you have a stalker and you have their number stored in your phone? <laughs> um, well, anyway. you you interrupted my rant, Jared. I mean, I was on a soapbox. I was lathered up. Lathered up. This may this may be. I may preach about. <laughs> I may preach about how this movie's trailer ruined my experience for Easter. I may just get up and be like, "Stop making movie trailers." <laughs> You're funny, man. I'm really aggravated that I stinking knew that the little boy was going to live and the girl die because it would have been a better movie if I didn't have to deal with that. Did it blow your mind? It did a little bit because I remember, so I thought it would weaken the movie because what struck me so much in the original, I remember the little bitty guy coming back and and it really messed because from the time I've been little, I've loved little babies, toddlers. I mean, I always wanted to have a bunch of kids from as early as I can remember. And um, that movie, what I remember most about that original movie, even though I've seen it over 20 years ago, was that little boy killing people. Yeah, I mean, you know, having watched it two weeks ago, obviously it's dated. And some of the stuff is just hilarious. Like, at one point, the little boy, who's just barely a toddler, we're led to believe in the 89 version, has not only killed his mother, but hauled her up into the attic, (laughs) tied a noose around her neck, and then waited for Daddy to come near so he could drop her down on the noose in front of Daddy. He probably weighed about a fifth of what his mom weighed. Yeah. Um, and then so right after that, you know, the the 89 Lewis Creed is looking up brokenhearted. And they you can just tell a stuntman or, or some production extra pitched a baby, a baby doll face first at him. It's the most plastic looking thing. It, I mean, it's so much worse than Chucky. It's just straight <laughs> up a baby doll in a, in a suit. 
Uh, but when it's actually the little boy, you know, doing his thing, he is surprisingly scary. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, even as a guy in my 30s, uh, it, it, it kind of rattled me. <laughs> the the other scariest thing in the world from from eighty nine the you know the stuff of nightmares is Zelda in the eighty nine mm-hmm. version she's terrifying uh, and is that they the do cat? no 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 that's church church is the cat Zelda is the sick older sister oh gotcha yeah and we get a whole bunch of different stuff in the two thousand nineteen version than we did from eighty nine but in both of them they're again they're the stuff of nightmares. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, stop making movie trailers, Hollywood, if you're going to give away major important parts of the movie. I'm just, I'm fed up with, like, doing everything I can to avoid it and still finding out stuff that, that would have made it a better movie watching experience if I could have avoided it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you uh, did you enjoy John Lithgow in this? I did, I did. The that was the that was the role that I was most worried about in this one because the guy who plays that same character in the eighty nine version is Fred Gwynn. Mm-hmm. And he's wonderful. He is. He's just perfect as like the, the country neighbor. And so I mean I thought Lithgow could pull it off, but I had you know, I just thought, man, how's anybody gonna top or, or match Fred Gwynn and Lithgow, yeah, he, he you know, he carried his, his role uh admirably here. He he did, but I thought he was weaker than the original. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, he what the original guy was tough. Like, oh yeah, I got you. Like he felt like he had lived in the country and yeah, yeah. Like he sense. was. I mean, he was tough. He had a heart for the kids, but he was a uh, almost like a tough love type. And but Lithgow wasn't really like that. I didn't think. Yeah, yeah. So you you saw him as like a millennial old man. <laughs> millennial, you you realize we're millennials, right? You and me. Oh, come on now. Yeah, we're no, old, actually, I do. Yeah, old millennials. But, My um, theory is that we are zennials. We we won't get into that right now. But you go, throw that in your Google machine sometime. Look up zennials. That's who I think okay. I am. Anyway, um, I thought Jason Clark was a real improvement over the guy from 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the guy in '89 was just wooden and. You know, just not particularly good. Like he he um, he seemed to be doing a David Hasselhoff impression. Really? Yeah, and I just didn't care for it. But Jason Clark can really can really stinking act. So he was good. Yeah, yeah. I thought he did a good job. And they, you know, both of them have a psycho cat. Uh, you know, I was kind of whispering to you in the theater that this movie would never work for me. One because I don't live somewhere where the Wendigo raises dead people to the you know from the dead. <laughs> but the second reason it would never work for me is because the first time that cat hissed at me, I would stomp it to death with my bare feet. <laughs> I, I just have no toleration for cats who attack people. I grew up on the farm, and that's just not the relationship you had to cats. <laughs> the first time it, like, scratched me, you know, there would be no trip out to, I guess people are maybe horrified hearing me say this, but there'd be no sweet trip out to the abandoned country lane and set church out and say, best of luck to you, pal. Uh, church would have went back to see the Wendigo. All, all you uh, Peter supporters, please send your hate mail to <laughs> At right, Jeff. Yes. Um, yes. If, if I have offended you because I talked about stomping to death a satanic undead cat, I'm I'm deeply, deeply sorry. And uh, we'll, we'll take some time to seriously consider that I should soften my heart towards, you know, black magic resurrected demon cats. Just spend some time chewing on that. That's funny. <laughs> Oh, me. But yeah, Church the Zombie Cat would have very soon been returned to the soil. Um, 
Okay. Well, you ready to get into this thing? I mean, we we, we got our, our methodology here. Uh, we chop this thing up according to the worldview. We want to see if it matches the story God's telling about Jesus. God told the story of Jesus and is telling the story of Jesus in four acts. There's a good creation. There's a fall when that good creation chooses rebellion against its creator and death uh, as judgment on that rebellion. That sin comes into the story. But God remains committed to his purposes, and so he di- He dispatches his perfect servant son, Jesus Christ, who redeems uh, a-, a people for himself and for his Father's glory. And then there's glorification. In-, in the work of redemption, Jesus is making a better world. And so we get to think about and see, and uh, those who believe in Christ will uh, eventually live in this better world he has created. So we're going to go through and see what Pet Cemetery says about creational goodness and what's fallen, if there's any hope of redemption and what a, a better world would look like to see if it's telling the truth uh, about what God's doing. Uh, but you know what? I forgot something there, Jared. Is there anything in this movie that you would tell a conscientious Christian, hey, be careful, this may offend you? Um, There's language, uh, quite a bit of language, and then, of course, a lot of violence. That language and, being the English language that there's quite a bit of? Yeah. You're funny. I am funny. Uh, they're foul language, right? Just so yeah. clear if people have Foul language, bad language. Um, there's cuss words. Um, yeah, there you go. That's that's the most Southern way we can say that. There's cussing in this movie. There is. And um, I think, I mean, there's some, they kiss, husband and wife kiss pretty heavy. Are you against that? Um, I have no need to see that. Uh, but uh, no, I'm not against it. You handled that well. Kids. I thought I could catch a cold there. Um, yeah, the, that and violence, and there's scary stuff, right? Yeah, there's quite a bit of scary stuff. Um, some of it's over the top and not particularly as scary, I think, as the the people who made the movie want it to be. But nonetheless, it's aimed at scaring you. So, mm-hmm. All right, man. So I set this up before I remembered we had to talk about conscience warning. Let's get into the creational aspects of this movie. So what is what's the vision of creational goodness in Pet Cemetery? Um, family kind of moving to get out of the rat race, moving to the rural community to kind of bond together, uh, kind of get the hint that the daddy's been working too much. Um, and so they get out to the country to where he doesn't have to work as much and they can kind of get, you know, him and his wife can get reconnected and him and his children is kind of what I gathered. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I understand that. Um, I think I see a lot of pastors doing that, you know? Um, I mean, just in the past couple of years, you see pastors who are kind of stepping away from from big churches um, because of the kind of burnout and stuff. Um, so I, I think that's a, a real danger. And so the I think this movie values family, maybe maybe too much. Well, it's definitely built on people having to uh, having to connect with this family. Like you, you won't care or be scared by this movie. If you don't come and like really invest in the in the uh, the family that's at the heart of this, and so I do think you're right to say that this movie invites us in to consider the goodness of the family, mm-hmm. and that we're supposed, you know, we the movie wants us to love the Creed family when uh, when we're watching this thing. So mm-hmm. and that's consistent. God God uh, thought that it was. I say thought. God understood that it was bad for man to be alone, and so He created woman, and through the one flesh union, He created the family that is part of creational goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's fallen in this world, bud? Um, I guess that uh, well, that it's not a safe world. Um, that it's a uh, it's a dangerous world, and it's um, you know, when you lose loved ones, because it's dangerous when you lose loved ones. Um, you know, there's a hole that's left, and there's a grief that can consume you. 
Yeah. I I guess what I would say when I think about fallenness in this movie, and we'll, we'll probably get into this at length, um, this is a movie that... In, in two different ways, thinks that the fear of God's judgment, that judgment that leads to death, uh, God's appropriate, perfectly measured response to human sin, which is death. Uh, this movie wants us to avoid that through human means. So one, you, you, at the beginning, the dad is a materialist. He doesn't believe there's an afterlife. And that's one way of dealing with the fear of death, which is to deny its existence, right? Mm-hmm. And say it's not coming. It's one that's very common in our day. He's he's caught up in that delusion or that attempt to self-delude. Uh, the other one is to turn to arcane and black magic and uh, power sources that aren't rightly being reconciled to your creator through the death and resurrection of his son. And so, again, black magic stuff, right, in this movie, basically tapping into uh, supernatural forces that are driven by evil power. But we have different versions of that. There's a version of that in the church that's a corruption of the gospel that says, if you believe hard enough, God will take away any sickness that comes against you, right? Uh, you also have it in in materialistic pursuits where people believe that scientific advancement is going to be able to deliver us from death. Be that you know, people like I think Elon Musk once said that death was a problem to be solved, um, or or these like you know, there's you see this sometimes in in uh, extreme feminists who like are hoping that that AI technology will allow human consciousness to be transferred to basically robots so that we can escape gender, we can escape death because we can just back ourselves up on hard drives or we can constantly upgrade the physical apparatus that's carrying our conscience or our consciousness around on a hard drive. Um, and that's where I see fallenness here. It's that they want to deny God's judgment on sin and death, or they want to have relief from it in a way that is not found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any hope of redemption in this in this story? I don't think there is. I don't think this movie provides any redemption. Um, I'm with you. There, there's a counterfeit attempt, right? Like basically, the resurrection that the the, uh, the the grounds beyond the pet cemetery offers. That's supposed to be a better world because it it's a place where our loved ones can return from the dead. But it ultimately proves to be less than worthless. It, it you know it, it proves to be evil. Mm-hmm. So and it's, oh, it's wait, odd. It's like this. It's like the goal is this undead family, but. I don't know. I don't know what that argument is at the ending. I I think they just wanted to. I don't. It's going to sound bad against the movie, but I I don't think they were trying to say anything with the new additions. I think they were just trying to be innovative um, with the source material. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, what what this undead family is all of a sudden going to live happily ever after? Like, I mean, what? No, I don't think that's what the ending is supposed to set up. I mean, they're going to kill the little boy. Yeah. And, 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 and have an undead, like, family live in that house, I guess. Or Yeah. So can we just, I guess now's as good a time as any to talk about the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. That is the dumbest ending I've seen in a long time. So, listener, I'm assuming you, what I'm referring to is daughter kills the wife, buries her in the, you know, Micmac or whatever. I don't think they say Micmac, but bury her <laughs> in the, you know, I think it was called the Little God Swamp or on the far side of the Little God Swamp. Mm-hmm. Whatever. They bury her in the place where people come back from the dead. And then, res, you know, corrupt, resurrected daughter and wife kill the husband, bury him. <clears throat> they come back. You know, he comes back from the dead. 
And then the last thing we have is them closing in on the baby, along with the dead, the dead cat who should have been dealt with a long time ago. <laughs> um, just the stupidest possible ending. It didn't leave me. It didn't leave me like with a sense of dread the way I thought it was. I think they were aiming at or hoping for. It left me feeling like this movie just became the Adams family. Yeah. Um, I Why didn't they? Go ahead. Why didn't they? Why didn't they drag Judd to the pet cemetery like the little girl? Why didn't she do that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why she wants mom and dad, not Judd. I don't know. They they start like a little clan of undead people out there. Just yeah. This is the you know this is the spinoff of the Walking Dead we've all been waiting for. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It was just so stupid. And I've I've watched yeah you know, I've watched the '89 version recently, as I mentioned, and I watched this one, and I thought, why has nobody chosen to just do the ending of the book? Because the ending of the book is so much better. Um, yeah, tell us what it is. Yeah, so a lot of what we've seen plays out. Um, <laughs> dad resurrects the daughter. And it goes sideways. He has to kill her uh, again. But before he does, the daughter has killed mom. So he thinks like, well, if I can get her buried quick enough, she'll come back better. And so the, it just ends with him sitting in the in the kitchen with his back to like a cabinet door, uh, listening to his wife's footsteps coming out of the you know the pet cemetery area up up the stairs and into the the room. And it ends with her laying her hands on his shoulder, saying, "Darling." Mm-hmm. And it's just much, you know, they they went for an open to imagination ending with this one, mm-hmm. but it was just stupid. Like it, it again, you're like, oh, it's a whole undead family, folks, undead family values. Um, <laughs> whereas, you know, you get the ruin of Lewis Creed's life in the book, along with the threat of now his his evil resurrected wife uh, and what she might do to him. And it's just better. It's just better than than either ending these movies have have provided. Mm-hmm. So when when they task me with redoing the pet cemetery in thirty years, I'm, that's the ending I'm going with. I'm just telling you now. Spoiler alert. Um, so I think without a mechanism of redemption, that's kind of the point of this movie. It doesn't end in a glorified new world. It ends in a in a horrible new world, a degenerated new world. So we don't think this this story is doing a very good job of telling the truth about what God's doing in history. Uh, but when we chop these movies up, according to Worldview, we try to put them back together with some analysis questions. And uh, the first one, what's the story? Get it right. We hope that through the summary and conscience warning and, and Worldview analysis, we've done that. Um, the second question then is, where am I? And we want to see the style and shape of the imaginary world. Where uh, Where are you when you're watching this thing, Jared? Um, I'm the dad, man. I'm the fixer. Um, mm. I would feel personally responsible for the death of my daughter, I believe, and um, especially with how that played out with the the cat, you know, walking back and her going after the cat in the middle of the road. You should have stomped it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real, that, those are the kind of thoughts that would enter my head, or I should have never buried it. Um, but instead, he's he's kind of blaming, um, you know, Judd for it. But he. Uh, so he wants her back and and um I mean I can resonate with all that but I you know I I think the argument of the movie well I'll I'll do that in what's good and true but um anyway where I'm at is the dad trying to fix everything but you know I'm I'm unable to fix everything and I think that's I think unfortunately that's something I'm going to have to learn more as my kids get older hmm. um countless people have told me you know they get on your nerves when they're little but they get on your heart when they're older and um and I, you know, if I had a nickel for every elderly person that told me that, um, whenever I, 
my kids throwing a fit or something. Um, I, I, it's going to be difficult for me not to be able to fix their issue. Like I'm going to keep myself from things that I can fix just so they can learn, you know, um, yeah. because that they're going to have to learn how to function in society, you know, how mm. to grow up, be adults. Yeah. Take um, a loss, right? Like take a loss, suffer, hurt, yeah. suffer pain. Um, you know, they're going to have to learn how to deal with all those things. And, um, but on the flip side of that, when they're in deep sin, or when they are going down a path that that leads to death, um, it's going to be hard not to <laughs> lock them up in the basement, you know, for their good. <laughs> yeah, I get it though. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, well, I mean, you and I both have little brunette daughters who are around the same age uh, or close enough that we remember a uh, little Ellie font, great and terrible dancing in the living room. Right. Dude, my, my daughter's nine. Yeah. I mean, she's about to be 10. Yeah. Mine's eight about to be nine and uh, has a little upturned nose like the little girl in pet cemetery. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a scene where um, I'm sure this is not unique to my household, but Ellie, the, the child in pet cemetery is doing a battle dance for the family and like my two girls want to do nothing so much as do ballet dancing and uh it got a little dusty there got a little dusty there when i was mm-hmm. uh, seeing that little girl die and being buried and what well, i'm sure some of our listeners have had to deal with something much more close to that and i really I legitimately apart from the sustaining grace of christ i don't know how it survive something like that it's hard enough for me to watch a movie mm-hmm. you know uh ask my imagination to consider it and it's pretty rough you know it's not rough compared to people who've actually had to suffer or something like that, but it's plenty rough emotionally, just the imagination of it all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, horrendous, man. I mean, a spouse and a child, I mean, it's just be horrendous. I don't know. I mean, people, you know, I mean, especially in church history, man, people have have endured that, and the Lord has brought people through that, but uh, I be very difficult. Yeah. I think also there, I hope that like, I, you know, I'm rooting for Lewis Creed because Lewis appears to be a pretty decent guy. Like he, you know, the only time we get to see him practicing medicine, he's working really hard to care for uh, that, that kid who comes in with the mm-hmm. head wound. And uh, in, in the book, it's because he tried to help that kid that the kid's ghost comes back and warns him about uh, you know, crossing the barrier into mm-hmm. uh, into whatever that place is called. So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you're hoping for good things. You can identify with him pretty easy if you're at least in our shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then what would I mean? Some of this we're already getting into. The next question is, what's good, true, and awesome here? How do we behold common grace? Um, I thought the I thought it, the point that you don't have the afterlife figured out. Was good how they emphasized, you know, this guy who who, like you said, is a materialist. He doesn't believe in an afterlife, thinks it's all fictitious. But all of a sudden he's confronted with death um, and sees, like you said, sees a ghost kind of like that. He didn't have everything figured out. Yeah, Um, I I thought that was a good point. Like he, you know, he didn't have everything figured out. I also liked how I think the argument of the movie or, you know, this scary story is that grief will grief will destroy you if you allow it. And um, it's best to let when your loved ones pass, 
that it is best to let them go um, instead of trying to resurrect them in your mind and heart constantly. Hmm. Um, what what that, does that mean, trying to resurrect resurrect them in your mind and your heart? Can you I, think, I think holding on to them. You know, when I say let go, I mean letting them go be with the Lord or or enjoying where they're at instead of trying to trying to hold on to trying to hold on to them like um I think it can get to the point where where you 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 don't move past it you don't and I don't I don't I don't want to be hard but um so you're saying actively seek uh to process through your grief and rejoice, A, that the person's with the Lord, you know, if you right. have that that privilege, or um, if if you have reason to think they're not, you can be thankful to the Lord for the good memories you had with them and trust Him to do what's right as the judge of all the earth and say, I, you know, I commit, I commit my heart to your care because I know you do what is right, mm-hmm. even when it seems painful and, can, you know, hurtful. Is that, is that, am I getting what you're laying down? Yeah. And you, I mean, what I'm saying is you can't hold on to the person. Um, like you can't because they're, because they're no longer here. Um, so like grief can't become the center of your existence perpetually. Right. You know, certainly there's, there's a time to grieve. There's a time to mourn, but then there's a time to refrain from mourning. Yes. And I mean, if you continue to try to hold on to the person, though they're gone, um, you're, first off, you're not holding on to the person. They're gone. And so you're trying to you're trying to do something that's literally impossible to do. And so you're it's I don't know, it's like aiming at an unattainable goal that you're never going to reach. Um, it's madness. And it eventually it will drive you. It will drive you mad. And um, and so you have to gradually, um, gradually let go. And it, and by let go, I don't it doesn't diminish the value of the person, but you're you're letting them like if they're with the Lord, you're enjoying that they're with the Lord. And are, did you say something, Brady? No, no, I'm just I'm listening. I'm soaking it up. You're enjoying you're enjoying that they're with the Lord. And for Christians, whatever whatever the whole is that has been left, um what I've tried to do is like with my dad passed away five years ago suddenly, and um, I've tried to fill that void with my heavenly Father. Um, you know the everything good about my dad, my heavenly Father designed, and um, and so although I, although my earthly father is gone and there is a void there, um, my heavenly Father is fully capable beyond my earthly father to meet the needs that my earthly father no longer can and um and so and so to to run to Christ or to run to the your heavenly father's loving arms i mean i th- i think that is the answer um i think that is the because my 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 dad's gone but my father isn't you know my mm. my dad's gone but god isn't and so diving into god if you will um diving into his word and into enjoying him um really was able to take the grief away and i mean there's still there's still five years later sorrowful times and we're coming upon the five-year anniversary in may mm. and um can't believe it's been five years yeah, but, me either. but um you know it, it's uh but if i kept trying to hold on to my dad, um, I believe it would have been detrimental to me, my health, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children, relationship with my church, my mother. I think it would have negatively impacted um, everything in my life. 
And um, and I know it's hard. I know it's severely hard. And I know there, you know, there there is worse grief than losing father. And um, and I know it's hard to cope with and to go through. But I I think that's what this movie is about a cautionary tale about how if you allow it grief will grief can destroy you and consume you um and the the family member that you hold on to um instead of letting them go um i mean even in this movie john lithgow says that um sometimes dead is better and um you know letting go of a loved one is better than holding on holding on to them to the point of you're trying you're you're still trying to get that person to meet your needs right mm, gotcha. um, and that they, they can't do that they can't meet those needs and so those needs literally you're you're pursuing something that cannot happen and so it's it ends up driving driving you mad and depression discouragement all those things come and i mean if you if you are consumed with grief you you won't be able to function for the relationships you do have um, still here and and even for the vocation i mean literally you'll lose the ability to function in any way I think I think this movie is a cautionary tale, and I I think it's a good cautionary tale. I know people people maybe be thinking, wait a second, this is about people coming back and killing people. <laughs> you know, no, I think there's a deeper message here, friends. Yeah, I I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm going to go in a different direction. It's because it's not because I think what you've said is wrong. I just I took a different read on it, but I think it sure. does speak to something that's true. Uh, you know, you preached through Hebrews not too long ago, right? Yeah. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, 14 is a well-known verse. I remember being really struck by it uh, when I was preaching through it uh, a couple years ago. It just says that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he being Jesus himself likewise partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I think that's what this, for my read on this movie, is that this is a film about people who, through the fear of death, are subject to lifelong slavery. The the mm. mom in this movie is clearly, because of her, you know, her uh, childhood experience with her, her sister and her sister's death, she is whatever the dark version of fascinated is, but she is like perpetually fascinated with death. She can't, she can't get too far away from the contemplation of death. Hmm. And I think Lewis Creed is a guy who's dealing with the fear of death in a different way, a very common way. You know, you just say, nope, it doesn't, there's nothing death to be feared. I just, you just don't exist anymore. It's like a candle being uh, extinguished. It's just the flame is no longer there. And, you know, being being fixated on death and denying its power are two ways that, that people are held in, in slavery. The thing that this movie wants is the hope of resurrection, but it knows it can't find that in in any natural or supernatural resource other than repentance and faith before the Creator uh, in His Son. But because that's not palatable to us, because we don't we don't like that, we just start playing through these mental games. Like, well, what would it be like if we could bring someone back from the dead? Are we sure that that would be a good thing? And what if it wasn't? And I think some of that stuff's going on with zombie movies too. Like, okay, what if we could beat death? Could that go sideways on us? Uh, I think this movie is about the fear of death and uh, how there's there's no good options to escape it. You know, even the secularist or the the black magic practitioner, they have to eventually come to a point where they say, 
it, you know, death is undefeated outside of Christ. It's always going to win. Whatever resources we think we have are ultimately going to prove insufficient. And if if you're not if you're not trusting in Christ, you don't have any you don't have any recourse when when the moment of death comes for you. So mm-hmm. that that's my read on this one. Hmm. So when you come down to what's distorted, evil, and false, how do we subvert idolatry? How would you say, you know, according to your read, that, that this movie would present an idol that we need to take the legs out from under? Um, I don't know. I I don't know if there's anything distorted, evil, and false. If my you know if my assumption is correct about grief, you know, it's a cautionary tale about grief. Um, I don't know that there's anything I would point to. Um, because I agree, I agree with, yeah, grief will destroy you. Um, if you allow it, if you pursue those relationships that are gone, if you continue to try to pursue it, um, instead of letting go, um, it will destroy you. And so, so I don't know that, um, you know, obviously, so that, that, that means I'm seeing everything as a metaphor for grief, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so if that's right, I don't think there's that there's anything necessarily as far as the worldview, if though if the worldview problems are metaphors, um, like the ghost, right, obviously, the false resurrection, I mean, all that stuff. Um, so I agree with the overall premise, um, the cautionary tale. Well, for me, I would say the idolatry, according to my read, would just be the idea that death is unconquerable. You know, in in this one, the grave, the grave is the champion in that it gets everybody. And if you think you can run an in run around it, what you're going to get is something even worth worse than death, right? That's Judge Line, Judge Line, rather. Sometimes dead is better. Mm-hmm. So, okay, it's best to be dead. And if you don't, if you're not dead, it's even it's even worse. And I think that's idolatrous because I think that's that's a message that doesn't countenance that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead mm-hmm. and. And will bring everyone who believes in him to a resurrection at his coming. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is a movie, again, that wants to kind of lampoon the idea of resurrection. And yet Jesus Christ is Lord uh, over death. Uh, Lazarus stands in testimony to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Christ's empty tomb stands in testimony to that. Uh, dead is not better. It's not better than alive. And it's certainly not better than resurrected to new life. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where I would see the idol here, that that really, I mean, this. I think this movie wants us to see death as the victor, and even in some ways desirable. Uh, hmm. And it's just not true. It's not true, Jared. From your framework and your read of this, how would the how do you see the gospel applying? Um, there's no. I don't know if there's any hope. Uh, there's no hope in this movie. There's no hope of a. Uh, you know, it's just kind of bleak, like. I mean, there. It's a cautionary tale about grief destroying you, but there's no hope for grief not to, like they don't tell you how to keep grief from destroying you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just said it. I mean, you know, grief. Like we can have hope when our loved ones leave this earth. We can have hope in in a world where literally, I mean, what millions die every week. Um, you know, you turn on the news and they're, they're, it's obvious that sin and the curse have messed everything up. Like, this is a cursed creation. Um, Jesus offers us hope that when we could not save ourselves, we could not overcome our sin, we could not overcome the curse, that Jesus became a curse for us, um, became sin for us, the Bible says, and then died the death that we deserve but then conquered death, and you know he represents us before God as our high priest for eternity. 
And so death will never touch him. That's right. I mean, it, you know, the death of death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even for Christians who are in him, there, there's a sense. I mean, you know, Christians don't really die, not in the same way unbelievers do. Right? We, um, it's a, it's strange, but it's kind of, it's like a stingless sting of death is not in us. It's in Christ. And um, I don't understand exactly what that means, but it it seems that there is a for Christians it's different. The separation of the soul from the body is um, distinct than from unbelievers. I don't fully understand that. That seems to be what the scriptures indicate um, that the sting of death has been left in Jesus, and it's not in us. Yeah. Um, and so, well, I mean, Christ is better. I mean, good grief. Good. Everyone who looks at this movie has to say that what Christ, what Christianity teaches concerning concerning true resurrection, not only that, but how to overcome grief with hope and whatever void you have from your your family member who has passed, that you have new family in Christ and in the church and in your heavenly father, that he can meet your needs abundantly, that your family member now is unable to meet. Um, I mean, Christianity really offers something so much wonderful and better than this. And I mean, I've talked about before on here, but what the picture of heaven, you know, in, in scripture is the bride of Christ. So there's this this unity among God's people that the closest picture we have here on earth is either your local church or your biological family or even your adoptive family. You know what it, you're the closest people you have in your life is how heaven's going to be, but it's going to be with, you know, an innumerable amount of people. Uh, of every tribe and tongue um, under the lordship of Christ. Like, uh, you know, you, you hear people talk about utopia. Well, that that's what he's going to bring. Um, and I, I'm just lo- looking forward to that, man. So there, there's nothing there's li- there's nothing in this life that heaven will lack that someone might desire. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, people who don't understand heaven, you know, I mean, if if you understand heaven, you don't want to stay here. Hmm. You know, I mean, hmm. you literally lose nothing and gain everything. Yeah, I remember one of C.S. Lewis's letters to uh, an American correspondent. It was an older woman. I say older, like comparably older to, to him at that stage in his life. And she was faith, facing death, and he said, "You know, has this world been so kind to you that you, you would you would honestly regret to leave it?" And uh, you know, Lewis had uh, something like a stroke. I'm not entirely sure what the the medical event was, but Lewis basically almost died uh, a short time before he actually did. Mm-hmm. And he said that you know, looking back in, the, in that in that window between his actual death and where he thought he was going to die, he said it really is uh, a sadness. To have come so close so easily because I think whatever happened to him where he did not actually end up dying, it happened while he was asleep. He said, you know, I've Hmm. come so close so easily and now I dread the prospect of a more difficult uh, passing next time. And he just, he was a guy who really believed that it was ever up and ever in that, you know, better things awaited us on the other side. He he genuinely believed that. Hmm. I've heard John MacArthur say something similar. He he almost died. I think it's been about five or six years ago now. He had a blood clot in his lung, and uh, I think he might have been in a coma. Mm. And um, when he woke up, he said he was disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that, it's interesting because his family – I think his family was around him, and he said that's honest. You know, he was 
he was ready to go to go to heaven. Yeah. My mom had an event where she thought she was dying. She told me that in a moment of clarity, she thought, well, I really feel, you know, I'm really sad that the kids will be sad, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Jesus. And, uh, you know, like my mom loves her family. She, she, like, she didn't come back like, well, dad gum it, y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. But she, uh, I don't know, it was almost, it was oddly comforting to hear her say that because that sounds like authentic faith, you know? Yeah. All right, man. Well, we will we'll put a bow on this one. Um, I, I am delighted. I'm delighted that I can trust the hope of the resurrection for myself, for those who I love in Christ, and for those that I can't, I can trust the character of Christ. It's a common pastoral question to hear, will I know my loved ones in heaven? And the reason people are asking that is because they can't conceive of, an, of a world where a loved one has died, and you know, in heaven you would know, well, that means they're in uh, torment, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and still see heaven as a place of perfect bliss. But the you know the image of the Bible is that God will wipe away every tear, mm-hmm. and the thing that I try to remind people is like you know like Scripture says, will the Judge of all the earth not do what is right? And so we know that we can put confidence in His choice. But also, I think we just underestimate how satisfying the presence of Christ is going to be. I don't think we can comprehend the the amount of joy that will be in Him and the way it will blow past any any thought we have of a sense of loss in this fallen world. He's going to be so surpassingly wonderful that I don't I don't even know that we'll think in categories of gain or loss. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, <clears throat> if it was just you. If it was just you and Jesus in heaven for all eternity or on a new heavens and new earth, you would be eternally satisfied. Like if you were the only one who made it. Yeah, he's that satisfying. Yeah, I mean, you know, all these questions, I think, I mean, you just look at how the Bible portrays him and portrays heaven and just and trust those things. Right. Trust his word. Amen. Well, we are going to put a bow on Pet Cemetery, and Jared. I know Hellboy comes out this week. Uh, we might try to catch Shazam too, if you if you can. Yeah, uh, do Shazam, maybe Hellboy as well, and then uh, if 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 we can catch both, we can do uh, a double feature there. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, possibly. I'll have to look at the. I think Hellboy's rated R, and I just got to figure out why. Yeah, right. So, listener, if you don't know, we if it's got nudity in it, we won't watch it. We won't review it, rather. Um, so, yeah. But one way or the other, we'll probably do something superheroic uh, next episode. Jared, until then, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. You can find me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. I've got another podcast I've neglected for about a year and a half called All Truth is God's Truth. And you can find Jeff and I on the Pop Culture Quorum Dale uh, Perpetual After Party Facebook group. Come and join us and let us know what you thought about our episodes and suggest new movies for us to review. Yep, we we enjoy the conversation there. Um, Fairly regularly. I'll throw a link in there about something I find interesting, see if anybody wants to talk about it. So um, we'd love to have you join in the conversation there. And as Jared said, that's on Facebook. You can find it. Uh, there's a big blue button on the Pop Culture Corndale podcast page that says Visit Group. It'll take you right there. You join in and start the conversation or join in uh, with an existing one. If you have the time and willingness, we'd appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, 
anywhere you're listening to this and leave us a review. Uh, We covet those perfect five-star reviews, but if you can't give us one of those, give us what you can. Tell us what you like about the show, what you think is weak, and uh, that helps us in two ways. One, it helps other people find the show, and then two, it helps us realize, hey, this is how we can be more helpful. This is how we've been less helpful, and we can sort of fit what we're doing to the needs of of the, the listener because we really do want to be useful to the church here. We want to be an encouragement. We want to be useful. We want to serve the Lord's purposes here, and those those kinds of feedback will help us do that. Uh, Jared, you got anything else before we wrap this one up? That's it, buddy. All right, guys. So this is Jeff Wright signing off for this episode of the Pop Culture Cormdale Podcast. We're thankful you listened. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'll be back with you very soon with another episode. And until then, Jared and I would encourage you to live every moment as if you are before the face of God, because you are. Talk to you next time.